I don't care who's first or who last, but I know that y'all just better rock this at the drop of a dime, baby. This is a Joe Rock Welcome to the Football Cypher here on Football Game Plan Podcast Network. I'm Emery Hunt, the czar of the playbook, and you can follow me on Twitter at FBall Game Plan. I'm joined, as always, with my fellow analysts, Chris James, Gene Clemens, Teron Davenport, and Brandon Howard. You can follow Chris on Twitter at CJFlorida9, Gene at Gene Clemens, Teron at T Davenport underscore NFL, and Brandon at B Howard underscore 81. Make sure to subscribe to the football game plan podcast on itunes and leave us a five-star rating and that's where you can find all of our many different shows you can also find them archived on our website at footballgameplan.com slash podcast and finally don't forget to check out and subscribe to the football game plan network on youtube located at youtube.com slash football game plan if you're not familiar to what a rap cipher is it's a crowd that forms in freestyle raps as they pass the mic around well it's the same thing here except there won't be any rapping going on. We'll just pass the mic around and keep the football takes flowing. And we're kicking off our NFL team previews in the cypher. And in this episode, we'll take a look at the Atlanta Falcons and some of our biggest questions heading into the 2017 season. Teron, go ahead on and kick this one off. Yeah, for me, it's always interesting how a coach can leave one team and go to another organization and carry over the mindset, the mentality. So that being said, Dan Quinn with the Falcons, is he building the same kind of fast defense that he orchestrated with the Seahawks in Seattle? You know, I think you can definitely, you know, see what he's trying to do there. Uh, you see what he did in the draft, you know, picked up uh, uh, McKinley there uh, out, of, out of UCLA. Um, and, and you can see with Vic Beasley and, and his progression and what he was able to do. Uh, I really – like this defense, they're able to kind of just pin their ears back and get after it. And uh, they're, they're aggressive. And I, I definitely see that kind of transformation is going to take more time. I think Vic Beasley is the only one that's kind of – he's there right now. You know, and, and he could be a member of the Legion of Boom right now. Like, he's the only one. But as time goes on uh, – I mean, and you also have Neil and, and what he's doing in the secondary. Like, I, you know, what he was able to do that last year – was phenomenal. Uh, they they need another they need another safety, you know, in there. Uh, I think that was kind of exposed during the Super Bowl. But um, you know, even my son was able to point out what was going on. That was awful. Uh, but I, I really think that this defense has a bright future. I think that Dan Quinn has a, a blueprint, you know, for what he'd like to do, and it's definitely what Seattle, you know, was in the past. And I think that that is what they're going to be able to do in the future. One hundred percent. I have literally never seen a copy job. This is this could almost be Xerox what he's trying to do, right? Um, bringing in guys like Vic Beasley, bringing in an effort player like Tack McKinley. These guys are Seattle Seahawks players, and then on the linebacker level, I mean, he's taking guys out of a program that has traditionally moved guys who were former safeties to linebacker, and that is LSU. He's taking every LSU linebacker. Drafted <laughs> Duke Riley this year. Deion Jones balled out as a rookie. He's got fast flow guys who can be in pass packages, they can play against the run. And then the Keanu Neal pick was literally, let's see who 
plays like Cam Chancellor, or at least tries to, and it was Keanu Neal. So he has fully tried to recreate the Seattle Seahawks defense down in A-Town. I, I like his aggressive approach because that mindset kind of permeates throughout the rest of the defense. So you're going to get a Vic Beasley and, and a Grady Jarrett to step up and, and play like they did in college uh, at Clemson, actually. Deion Jones is an outstanding linebacker that people just thought, oh, he's too small to play. But he put him right in the middle, and he balled out as a rookie. I'm not as high on Duke Riley or Tack McKinley. I think they're effort guys that don't make a lot of plays. But I do like that he went after DeMonte Casey in the secondary. And this is a dude that has elite-level ball skills. And he can play safety or he can play corner. Join now with a guy like Keanu Neal and Robert Offer who has ball skills. So, yeah, that along with the fact that they had that mentality of we're going to attack, we're going to get after you, are going to make plays, we're going to hit you, we're going to impose our will. Yeah, he's definitely trying to build that same Seattle Seahawks uh, defense down there in, in Atlanta. He's definitely trying, and you have to admire him for trying, but when have you ever seen a team be able to duplicate the success of a particular unit somewhere else to the level of that same unit? I haven't seen it. I'm I'm not as impressed with this Atlanta defense. I thought that they were that they that they were opportunistic last year, but I thought a lot of those opportunities came on a lot of mistakes, not necessarily because they they made them happen, but because other teams let them happen or other teams made mistakes that they shouldn't make. I, I point to games where they just got absolutely annihilated in that defense. You didn't see that from the Legion of the Legion of Boom and that in that Seattle defense in their in their hay. And and so I don't know. I mean, will they will they all of a sudden think that they're better than what they what they really were um, last year because of the success that they had last year? I can't quite say it. And, and and the NFC South has a weird way of humbling teams once they win that division. Um, outside of Carolina winning it, uh, you know, a couple years in a row. So we'll we'll see what happens. I'm not I'm not ready to say that this defense is is the next coming though well i think personnel wise what what uh, dan quinn has done as far as the pieces he's adding i think he's definitely trying to do it um i really i really like Deion jones i i, I like the the linebackers that they have there they're, they're athletic you know devondre campbell as well so it's interesting how they're matching up the the you know jones and campbell campbell's a a taller guy, you know, similar to the mold of KJ Wright, and then you got Deion Jones, a guy who could run and hit and track down any ball carrier, similar to a, a Bobby Wagner. So I definitely see the parallel. That's why I asked that question. So I, I think they're trying to do it. I mean, obviously they're not going to be able to do the same thing as the Seahawks did because that defense, let's face it, is one of the the best units to ever see a football field. So it's going to be hard to duplicate it exactly, but you could definitely see the making of it. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, w with the question that I have, you know, I'm going to stay on the defensive side of the ball. You know, when I look at a guy like Vic Beasley, uh, he, he's a player when he came out of the, in the draft, I said, you know, this, this guy's got something special. You know, I, I really liked him as a prospect. I liked him better than I liked Miles Garrett. I'm not trying to pick on Miles Garrett. This is the second show I bring him up. Um, you know, but I wasn't as impressed with Miles Garrett as I was with Vic Beasley as a prospect. I know people on Twitter, you know, laughed at that when I said that, but, you know, Vic Beasley is a talented player. Um, and he showed you this past year what he was. Um, so with that said, do you all believe that 
he is a top five pass rusher in the NFL right now. Let me just address anyone who gave me any crap about Vic Beasley being better than Miles Garrett. Vic Beasley is a far superior football player to Miles Garrett. Miles Garrett is an impressive specimen at six foot five, 270 pounds, being to run as fast as he does, even though he looks goofy doing it. <laughs> He's not a good football player yet. Talk about Period. Now back to Big Beasley. When Big Beasley was coming out, I think I had him as my third ranked player that year. I like the fact that he went back to school, even though he had a good junior year, and improved on his technique and became a superior pass rusher. And his first year in Atlanta, it was getting used to doing all the other stuff, holding up against the run and what they try to do with them, moving him back to linebacker, then back up to rush in, and finally realizing this guy rushes the passer. And you saw what happened last year. Didn't he lead the NFL in sacks this past season? Yep. So absolutely, he can be a top five pass rusher in the NFL in this upcoming season because last year he was the number one pass rusher in the NFL from a statistical standpoint. And in one of the earlier podcasts, we asked about Jadavian Clowney. See, guys like Vic Beasley – are the reason that a Jadavian Clowney won't be in that top five to 10 discussion, not because he doesn't have the talent to, because other guys are ascending as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I would say he is because he has a great sense of timing. Um, when you need the play to happen, he's there to make the play. And he did that at Clemson. He did it for the Atlanta Falcons. I remember some, a lot of these bloggers and these draft guys were ready to call him a bust his rookie season. Um, but it's, it's amazing how guys just automatically uh, assume a guy can't play when it's not necessarily the truth when he was hurt his whole rookie season. Um, so this dude definitely has the timing. He has the quicks off the ball and, and knows how to, you know, get skinny, so to speak, to turn the corner and accelerate to the quarterback. So I think he definitely is. And it showed last season. I agree. He definitely has the skills. Um, I think that it'll also be interesting to see if they just use him as a pass rusher. I don't understand this whole fascination with trying to make him a complete football player where I don't need to see Vic Beasley dropping in the coverage. I don't need to see him taking on double teams. I need to see him rushing the passer. That's what he does best. That's what he's the greatest at. Like, let him do what he does best. And, and you know, Bruce Irving him. You know what I'm saying? If you're going to make this like a Seattle, you know, defense, make him Bruce Irving, make him make him um, Cliff Averill, you know, where he, he's a pass rushing specialist, keep his keep his reps um, lower and, and allow him to just get off the ball and go. And I think if you do that, he'll definitely continue to put up those statistics that 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 justify him being called the top five pass rusher. Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's definitely – uh, able to be a top five pass rusher. And for me, one of the things that impressed me was the way he was able to put on the weight that he put on from Clemson to uh, Atlanta and still maintain that quickness, that get off that he had. So I, I think he's very capable of doing that. And it's funny you guys mentioned Miles Garrett because I had a conversation on a, a radio station in Texas about Miles Garrett and Derek Barnett, and they couldn't believe that I said Barnett was the better athlete, and I brought up the whole Mike Mamula syndrome as far as falling in love with a guy because of his athletic traits and overrating him because of that. And I think with Vic Beasley, you have athletic traits, but you also have a guy who is a, a very talented football player 
and you look at some of the guys that he sought out as far as for help developing his craft, you know, he worked with Chuck Smith right there in Atlanta, and that helped him work on his hands and, and keeping his, his chest plate clean. So that's something else that, that he brings to the table. I think he's a top five guy easily uh, th this year. Yeah, I mean, when it comes to Vic Beasley, I, my, the only gripe I have about Vic Beasley is that he he hurt my man, you know, uh, Miller, Braxton Miller in that, uh, in that game in college. And now we never got a chance to see Braxton Miller play quarterback ever since then because he just tore up the boy's shoulder. But uh, I digress. That's the only gripe I have against Vic Beasley. But, um, you know, I, I really like what, what he brings to the table. I love his initial quickness off the ball. I, I really love his ability to just – he just runs circles around a lot of offensive tackles. He's, he's that explosive. He maybe maybe didn't time as well as a lot of people thought he would, but that has nothing to do with his initial burst. His initial burst is crazy. Uh, he's gotten much better with his hands, uh, knowing how to, you know, just get around things. And, and his hand placement is way better than it had been when he was in college. Um, Chris mentioned that he stayed the extra year to, to you know, refine his craft, get better at those things. And then, you know, setting the edge and doing, you know, things in the run game and all that, I, I understand. You know, I understand, you know, you want to see a guy that's complete. But what he does is get after the, after the quarterback. You know, that, that's his game. He did that in college, and he's doing it now. In my opinion, he's obviously a, a top five pass rusher in the NFL. And, and you know, I'm, I'm glad you said that about what he does well. I'm tired of coaches feeling like they can change someone just to fit their narrative, their role, and their mindset. If someone does something well, let them do that well. Don't draft them or bring them into your system to have them do something that they've probably never proven to do well because what's the point? Right. Why are you bringing that player on? But, look, we've covered the defense, and with good reason. We saw what happened in the Super Bowl and the collapse. But Atlanta was known – for having a very talented offense last year and put up a lot of points and a lot of yards, but they lost their OC. He went to be the head coach out in San Francisco. So with Steve Sarkeesian coming in, what does this mean for Matt Ryan, Julio Jones, Devonta Freeman especially, and the rest of this Atlanta Falcons offense? I think it's going to be more of the same. I actually like Steve Sarkeesian's play call, and I think he's going to do a lot of what we saw uh, Kyle Shanahan do, and I think he's going to involve a little bit more of the running game. So you're going to see a little bit more of Devonta Freeman, um, Brian Hill, probably more so than Tevin Coleman. So I think he's going to just pick up right where they left off, which is why I, I actually like the move going from Shanahan to Sarkeesian. I think we saw what he was able to do at USC. We saw what he was able to do at um, Alabama, helping out uh, Lane Kiffin. And quite honestly, going back, we're old enough to remember him actually playing for BYU. And we, so we know, what offense he was coming out of, that old West Coast offense uh, with Lavelle Edwards and company. So I think they, they're they going to replace a good offensive coordinator with a, with a better one. Well, this is one of the rare times that, that Emory and I are in complete and total disagreement. I do not like Steve, Steve Sarkeesian. I don't think he's a good offensive coordinator. I don't like what he did when he was – I don't like what he did when he was at Washington. I don't like what he did when he was at USC. I sure as heck don't like what he did when he was at Alabama. It seemed like the moment he stepped foot on Alabama, they all of a sudden became a lot more predictable and a lot less risk-taking. Um, and now he's coming to Atlanta to take over a team that already probably feels like an offense that already feels like they're rolling, and now he's going to change it 
and 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 tinker and tweak with it to fit what he does best or how he calls the game best. Um, I just don't think that's indicative to another run to the Super Bowl. I, I think that this 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 reeks of a season that's going to go awry, and he's going to be one of the major reasons um, for it, especially if he can't lay off the sauce in between trying to um, play call and, and and do the things that he needs to do to be a successful offense coordinator in the NFL. That's cold, man. <laughs> I don't like that dude. I don't really care if it's cold or not. <laughs> well, I, I'll say this. One of the things that I think is good with having him there is he's going to maintain that balance. And you, you saw Freeman, you, you know, really move to the next level as far as a, a running back's concerned. So I, I think that's something that obviously – they're going to need to maintain. And, and Matt Ryan is the type of quarterback where you have to have that balance. They like to work the play action. So I think one of the ways to be able to do that is to maintain that rushing threat. So I, I think while he may have a slightly different way of approaching things that, than Shanahan, I think knowing what's at, what's there in place, I think he's going to try to maintain that. I mean, if it's not broke, don't try to fix it. And that, that's more or less the mentality that he should have going into this uh this team yeah uh this is one of the reasons why i probably have the falcons taking a little bit of a step back and here's why um you know they had their chemistry and their flow with with you know the offensive coordinator last year and the way i feel about sark he's he's the type of guy that he wants to, he wants to have his own guys and the falcons already have their group they went to the super bowl last year because of this offense I think he's going to try to get the, a different type of different personnel in there, you know, to say, okay, I had this guy and I found this guy instead of going with who they already have and what has been working. And I just see him tinkering and trying to mess with things a little bit much. And, and I just don't see them being able to achieve what they did last year. Last year worked because they stayed with, the personnel that they had, they kept on working the same guys. And I just, I, I feel like with Sark, you know, you say, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. I mean, if it ain't broke, Sark is going to try to fix it. And, and that's the way I feel about him. And, and I just don't think that they're going to have quite the success that they had last year. You know, this should be a great fit because of the way the roster is constructed, even bringing on a, an additional running back, uh, I think it should do wonders for Devonta Freeman. Bringing in Brian Hill as the number two back would be great, and Tevin Coleman being more of a gadget player. Uh, we, we we know my opinion of Tevin Coleman as a true every-down running back. The only negative that I see, because, again, I think they're going to run the ball, be consistent. It's going to mirror kind of what Kyle Shanahan did to some extent. The negative that I can see with this and why they do take a step back is there's no one to really police him because Dan Quinn is a defensive-minded coach. You know, sometimes when you bring in a guy who is trying to prove himself, who's coming off of having all these issues with not only alcoholism, but also of feeling like he's better than, uh, almost like a Chip Kelly mindset. Right, right. They can be a detriment because they feel like no one can question what they're doing. So I'm hoping that Sark's able to rein that in, and if he is – this can be a great offense, but I think there will be a small bit of that which will 
not allow this offense to completely take off like it should. Nice back and forth uh, on differing opinions on that on that particular topic. I want to ask, what position group do you feel as though got better for Atlanta in the offseason? Because, again, this team went to the Super Bowl, so what do you think they got better at uh, in the offseason? Um, I, I mean, I think they, they, they got better in, in, on the pass rush. I mean, how could they have not? They've added guys who are hustlers, guys who are relentless to the ball, but also the guys that they had, some of those guys are, are so young, they're still improving. So you have, um, as we've already spoken about at nauseum, your Vic Beasley's, who's just going to get better and better at what he does and what he should be doing the best. Um, I think that that pass rush is going to be one that's difficult to get by. And as long as they're holding up in the secondary, I think they're going to have a lot of success. Yeah, I'm going to say their their front four is, is where – or their front seven, actually, is where I think they made the most improvement. Your your first-round pick, Tack McKinley, is, is obviously a guy that will help you out in your pass rush. Their big free agent signing was Don Terry Poe. And then also the selection of Duke Riley, a linebacker that I like coming out of LSU. So I, I think those three alone are, are solid additions to that front seven unit. So that's where they got better in my book. But I definitely don't think selecting DeMonte Casey should be uh, something that is bypassed because he's definitely a player as well. So I want to see how they use him. I was surprised when I popped on. I saw him on the depth chart at the safety position. So that's going to be interesting seeing that whole dynamic play out during the preseason. Yeah, I'm going to say, um, you know, they're – I, I like what you said, Teron, in the front seven, but I'm just going to reduce it to their their front four. You know, I, I really like, you know, what those guys are able to do. Uh, you bring in Don Terry Poe. Um, I wasn't a huge fan of Duke Riley uh, because I didn't feel like he got off blocks well enough, uh, but his ability to flow to the football is outstanding. And I feel like that if that front is able to kind of keep him clean a little bit, he'll be able to have the desired effect on that defense. So, um you know, I think that, you know, like you said, TD, that front seven is great. But I think that um, the addition of Don Terry Poe does help this defense a great deal. I'm going to be extremely finite. And one literal position and one player got better. The addition of Devontae KZ, because Brian Poole playing in their nickel was a problem last Disaster. year. Disaster. So having them replace him is going to be a huge benefit to this defense. I actually like that pick with the KZ um, selection because he he's a guy that has the ball skills that you look for. He can find the football. But I'm going to go on the other side of the ball. I think they got better at tight end. Uh, Austin Hooper is going to be the starter now this year. Eric Saubert, they drafted this season. I think that's a potent one-two combination. We saw him down at the East-West Ryan game, and now they have a, a trio with Levine Tololo as well. So I think they're better at tight end. We'll see how that works out moving forward. And they got better at backup quarterback because I'm a big fan of Alec Torgerson. I think he's already better than Matt Sims. They're going to probably keep Matt Schaub around because they like older guys being backups, even though they're trash. And although Torgerson is better than him, I think they got better at the backup quarterback spot and also at tight end. I'm excited to see the Falcons tight ends uh, this season. I, I love I love the Hooper addition, um, Emery. I think he, he can be a real weapon for them. Um, and, and somebody that, you know, that, that – their quarterback can really rely on. Um, and, and really, when we start talking about the quarterback, we talk about Matt Ryan and his, I don't, I don't want to say breakout year, but his definitely his best year as a pro. But now he goes into a new season with a new offensive coordinator. And I just wonder, 
does his offensive production return to the Matt Ryan that we've that we've grown to know over over you know his his career, or does he continue to be this guy that he he elevated to him elevated himself to last year? That's a good question. I, I think when you look at Matt Ryan this year, I think you're going to see a guy who's going to regress a bit on the interception side of things. I think he's going to turn the football over a little more like he's done in the past. And I, I really think last year was a bit of a uh, an anomaly for him. Um, at this point, you know, it's hard to see a guy just suddenly turn around and become someone who – consistently is going to put up these type of numbers that, that he put up this past year. So I think he's going to fall back in this new scheme, you know, and uh, that's pretty much my, my standpoint on that. Yeah. When it comes to Matt Ryan, I mean, he's, he's just never been a consistent, a guy that is consistent. that will give you the same thing year in and year out. Um, and, and he's a bit enigmatic in that way. It's, it's, he's just very difficult to understand why, he, you just don't see a steady progression. It's two steps forward, then two steps back. And it's, it's, I, I don't get it. Um, but now you also bring on top of that, you know, and not to any fault of his own and not to any fault of the organization's own, the offensive coordinator has moved on. Uh, now you bring in Sark. Um, and I think that as a result, uh, and, and then you've got Julio Jones, who I love. You know, I, I've been a big fan of Julio Jones for quite some time. Uh, the, even coming out in the draft, thought he was an outstanding receiver, even though he had some issues with drops, liked him. But at the same time, the kid, he just has difficulty staying healthy. And I, I don't think you're going to be able to rely on him. And I think as a result of all those things with the offensive coordinator and then now, you, you know, Julio Jones still trying to get back in the mix. Um, I think that he kind of falls off a bit this year. Just by definition of the fact that he had – his best, he was the NFL MVP last year. And this is a guy who's never been in an NFL MVP conversation. So, of course, he's going to regress more towards the mean. He's not going to have a 38 touchdown, seven interception season again. His biggest bugaboo in his entire career, because in my opinion, he's been pretty consistent from the following perspective. This guy is the worst player in the NFL inside the five when it comes to throwing interceptions. I've never seen a guy who doesn't throw interceptions in the middle of the field, just decide to throw the ball to the other team. And in his MVP season, he became the first guy to throw a pick two. Trying to go up by three points, and he just just throw it away. Nope, I'm trying to fit this in here, and Eric Berry is going to take advantage of my weak arm and return it for two points and end up winning the game by one. Absurd. So he's going to regress more towards the mean. He's going to become that guy, 23 touchdowns, uh, probably 12 interceptions, maybe 11. He's still going to have that bugaboo attached to him because every season he's had at least one interception when he's inside the five-yard line, and that's with Julio Jones on his team. Unacceptable. Yeah, I think you touched on it a little bit, Chris. Matt Ryan is consistent in his inconsistency because every year he has made the Pro Bowl, the following year he has regret regressed. And so last season, not only did he make the Pro Bowl, he was an All-Pro MVP. Um, putting up the best numbers of his career. But on average, he throws maybe 12 to 14 interceptions a season and maybe 25 to, to 28 touchdowns. I think that's going to be what we're going to see next season from him or this upcoming season from him. I don't think we're going to see 
him build on this MVP year because he hasn't done it consecutively over the course of his career. The biggest reason why is that he's still afraid of pressure, and that's why he throws the ball away. That's why he throws it to the check down a lot. Last year, by far, was the best year he's had as far as yards per attempt is concerned. 9.3 yards an attempt when, on average, he's been about 7.2, 7.3. So that's going to go back down to uh, that number. And, again, he's still afraid of pressure. We saw that against the New England Patriots in the Super Bowl. He, he got scared in the last moments and threw the ball away or took that sack. You don't take that sack in that situation. And that's a big reason why they lost that game. So Matt Ryan is good for a great year, but then he'll fall right back to the mean like you talked about. And and I agree a lot. And you said something very interesting, Emory, is that he, you know, he he's afraid of pressure. But it's more than just pressure on the football field. It's pressure off the football field. Now he has to live up to this hype. He has to live up to people believing that he's a top five quarterback. And, and it's going to make him want to or try to do more. At the same time, you're going to have Steve Sarkeesian trying to prove that, A, he's a, he's a, he can be a competent NFL um, coordinator, and, B, that he is probably in line for another head coaching position somewhere. So he's going to be trying to make it all about him. While Matt Ryan's going to be trying to hold, you know, hold up to this new standard of his. I mean, think about it. He, he his career has been a two, a two two and a half to one inter, um, touchdown to interception ratio, and now all of a sudden he has a five and a half to one interception ratio. I mean, that is a ridiculous jump for one year, and I just don't see how you sustain something like that, especially with your influx in coordinators, and so. I definitely see him regressing, and because he's he's going to regress back to his mean, I think it'll actually make him look worse. And because it'll make him look worse, that pressure will, will mount, and it will make him have probably one of his worst seasons ever. It's crazy because he had put together one of the best seasons uh, in his career and in Falcons history So and got them to the Super Bowl as a result. So coming off of all that information we just talked about, where do you guys have the Falcons finishing 2017, starting with Eugene. I'm going to make a bold prediction. I think the Atlanta Falcons are going to um, finish dead last in the NFC South. I think they're going to go from first to worst. I think there's going to be way too much influx, uh, way too much um, unknown entities in this offense. There are going to be people trying to get paid, people not being able to stay healthy. Um, what I just talked about with the quarterback and the offensive coordinator, and I think these guys are going to go from a team who was first to a team who's last. Yeah, I have them finishing in second place in, in the division. I, I think there's another team we'll talk about that will finish first, but, you know, I, I have them at second place. Uh, I don't think they're going to drop off that much to where they go from first to worst, and uh, second place is where I have them. Yeah, um, I, I say this, you know, very regrettably. Uh, I, I have them finishing last. Um I love the receiving corps. I love Julio Jones, uh, Taylor Gabriel. You guys all know that's my guy there. Um, I just don't think that they can do what they did last year. You know, capture that kind of you know magic in the bottle that they were able to 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 have last season. Everything just kind of happened the way that it was supposed to last year for them. Um, but it, it's going to be a rough year for them. I just don't see Matt Ryan being able to. Uh, capitalizing key moments the way he was last year and the change in offensive coordinator. I, I don't 
see it for them, unfortunately. I have them finishing dead last. The Atlanta Falcons. Uh, this is going to sound like a broken record because on another podcast, I predicted this place in the division, but I have the Atlanta Falcons finishing tied for second in the division. I think this will be an extremely close divisional race. Uh, a lot of these teams are deficient in one place, and some have more deficiencies than others. But I think Atlanta does well enough to finish tied for second in this division. So that's it for this episode of the Football Cypher. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes and leave us a five-star rating. For Chris, Gene, Brandon, and Teron, I'm Emory Hunt, the Czar of the Playbook. And this has been the Football Cypher on the Football Game Plan Podcast Network.